You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set up to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 400. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. See us talk! 400! <laughs> Woohoo! Hey son, hey son, 400! That's really 400. good, I wonder <laughs> oh, how that happened. I'm still... We're still trying to get the hang of this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how's it hanging? Speaking of which. Hang back, fly. (laughs) Anybody home? (laughs) Ay, ay, ay. Oof. I'm finally back home. I'm really sorry that I missed an interview recording that will be at next week. Next week, yes. Mm -hmm. Cara Santa Maria. Oh, my God. Dr. Kara. Keep your ears peeled for that. <laughs> yeah. Really, really good interview, mm-hmm. Annika. And I did, I was sure, like two days ago now. So we will, but it's for next week. Mm. Yes. 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 But for this week, we, <laughs> we haven't prepared anything special, but we are back at least to the usual format because, um, after QED, we had to share a lot of the interviews and everything with, uh, with our listeners. And then there were large well, we didn't interviews. We have to, but we wanted to. No, we to. wanted There were lots of interesting people. Yeah. It wasn't a have to. It was a must for learners of English. <laughs> 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 Just like we are. So yes, um, it was like an intrinsic drive to try and uh, share uh, the experience with uh, with those of our listeners who were either there and wanted to relive some of it or weren't there and we wanted to let them know how it so was. So what you're saying, Andras, is our normal is something special right now and that's why we're doing <laughs> this yes, for episode 400. That's a regular episode because... Yeah. That's special, yes. <laughs> it is special. Yep. But I think we cannot start our show without mentioning the, the terrible events that has been happening in the last couple of days. But surely years and thousands of years even. But in, in the last couple of days, it has become even more violent. And that is the conflict, uh, if I can say so, between Israel and Palestine in the Gaza Strip. It started with a terrible attack with a terrible retaliation effort and now it's escalating and we don't know where it will end but there is a skeptical aspect of it as well which is that the spreading of fake news and the spreading of falsehoods and disinformation and fake photos and videos and reused photos and videos from a couple of years ago it's rampant so now it's even more disruptive and supporters of, of, of both sides, basically, and I'm, I don't want to be relativistic here with the events, but we see that happen on both sides, that the spreading of misinformation is used as a tool for gathering more support. And this is very, yeah. very, very concerning. I would say also that there are lots of actors that, that ha- doesn't have a side, yeah. but they just want to create misinformation yeah. because they they thrive on that. They, they get, thrive either on they chaos. Get clicks yes. Or, yeah, chaos. So there are a lot of people who don't care about this, but they're still spreading misinformation because gain, they have gained from that. And not as an actor of spreading misinformation as such, but as a facilitator of that is Elon Musk. Mm. So I don't know what he wants to do with all this lifting of any kind of restrictions when it comes to content spreading on X, formerly known as Twitter. So the EU decided to issue a warning to them because luckily and fortunately these are the moments when i feel proud of uh, of being a european that there is something that we co- that they call the digital services act in the european union based on that the commissioner responsible for the act uh, theory breton wrote to elon musk urging him to well do something about the repurposed old images and the fake news and disinformation that we see spreading on X. Uh, because otherwise, if he doesn't comply with the Digital Services Act and its requirements, they can fine X of 6% of the revenues of the company. Or 
they can risk a total blackout in the EU. And I found a couple of news sources that claim that were based on someone who is supposedly close to the company, familiar with the company, as they they say it, that Elon Musk is actually considering taking Twitter off completely in Europe for European Union residents. I'm not sure that would be a terrible thing, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you never know what he's going to do. He's he's always throwing a lot of uh, outlandish ideas out about, and then when it comes to, you, you don't know exactly what he's going to do. We will see what happens, but it, I I wouldn't miss X no, at all. No, I yeah. already like I already deactivated my account. To be okay. honest, <laughs> okay. I've been this close to do that for a long time. I'm just completely inactive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's one. Of, yeah, also one too. way to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, ter- it's terrible to see that with someone with such a huge influence, looking like a person who also thrives in chaos. I mean. Why Why would mm. you not feel responsible for the content out there? Anyhow, yeah, but we are responsible for what we are producing. So why don't we get on with the actual show? This is the 400th of our episodes. Oh, my Woo. God. <laughs> Eight years. Unbelievable. So uh, let's turn to the first segment that we usually have on the show, which is This Week in Skeptical History, also known as Trish. Okay, we are celebrating a birthday here, um, which Ooh. was, uh, yeah, um, as of the, the the release of this episode, it was two days ago, it marks the birth of a very influential person born in the then German Empire under the name Max Gersh. Okay, Annika, help me out here. Max Gerson is how we always refer to him, but is this how you say it in German? Mm, probably, yes. I would say Max Gerson. Yes, okay. That's very close. Okay, if the name sounds familiar, it's because he invented a dietary-based cancer treatment, alternative cancer treatment thing, based on nothing whatsoever, that uh, claims to cure all kinds of cancer and a lot of other diseases that uh, you can come up, mostly chronic ones. So he's very well known for that. And he was born in Wągrowicz, which is now in Poland, and he graduated in Freiburg, then went on to practice medicine in a town called Breslau. Why wow. are very one. fond of that place? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wrocław. <laughs> That's the one. That's where the 2017 European Skeptics Congress took place. And we had lots of fun there. And it's a wonderful, beautiful, beautiful place. However, <laughs> he, he then uh, practiced medicine in Bielefeld, which is another favorite of mine because of the Bielefeld. <laughs> doesn't exist, <laughs> it doesn't it? exist. Yes, That's exactly. a conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's surrounded by all these places. So he is very relevant to skepticism, I think. But um, he went on to study and uh, practice different medicinal fields. And then he came up with um, a very weird diet to treat tuberculosis. That's a weird approach when it comes to something that is lung-based. Yeah, then he went on to to do a, um, a couple of other experiments to treat migraines and other chronic things. He then left Germany because of the, the Nazis uh, getting into power. And then through Vienna and Paris uh, and London, he ended up in the United States in New York when he died at the age of 77. So he was born on October the 18th, 1881. And that's why we are having him on Twitch. Now, a little bit of about Gerson therapy. It's based on a vegetarian, a predominantly vegetarian diet, based on the claim uh, that animal proteins and the consumption of them uh, leads to pancreatic enzyme deficiency. And that's where he was claiming all types of cancer originated from. It's completely based on nothing. We don't even know where he got these ideas from. And he tried to publish his findings and his ideas, but he got a lot of pushback. So in 1958, he ended up publishing a book on how he treated 50 cancer patients and how the results, according to him, showed that this 
treatment works. However, even back then, it wasn't supported by any solid evidence. So the scientific community pushed back against it. And since then, a lot of uh, scientific studies have been done, not specifically on Gerson therapy, but related to these claims. And it's basically completely unfounded. And it still goes on, but the worrying concern is that even though it's still very popular, a lot of terrible side effects have been reported since it it really took off. At some point, people were sickened very badly with uh, raw liver consumption because of Campylobacter fetus infection that came with the raw liver and the consumption of it. Because even though animal proteins or animal products are not usually included in Gerson therapy, there were a couple of iterations that included some of it, including raw calf's liver. So it's not even a solid, a well-thought-out kind of diet. And the National Cancer Institute and the Cancer Research UK both issued warnings about Gerson therapy, which is very welcome. I think that is very important that these institutions provide the right kind of information to their followers, because those will mostly be those either suffering from some kind of cancer or their relatives and their immediate friends and uh, peers who would like to support them. So yes, Gerson therapy is basically pseudoscience. It's probably not even that. It's just quackery. It doesn't have anything to do with scientifically sound claims. And this guy who invented it and who came up with this terrible kind of crackery, was born on October the 18th, 1881. <laughs> <laughs> unhappy birthday. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, not a yeah, happy exactly. birthday. Unhappy he birthday. died in 1958, I 59, believe. 59, yeah. Yeah, 59. So he is uh, dead, but there's, as you said, there's still clinics working on this, especially in, in Mexico. Yeah. And I've heard there's one in Budapest. Yeah, you have to do I something know. about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> So, and, but for the Mexican ones, it's very common that pe- when people run out of options and, well, cancer treatments do not always work and, and yeah. you get, well, you, you know that you're going to die. Then there are lots of uh, cases where people are gathering money to afford to send that patient to the Gerson Clinic in Mexico specifically. In Tijuana, yeah. In Tijuana. And they waste a lot of money. The patient often reports back in the beginning saying, I feel much better now, but that's often because they are now off the cancer treatment and the chemotherapy and the radiation. So you feel better and they, and that is used to publicize, look, it's working. Everybody feels better when they get there. And then, of course, when the patient dies, which they often do, that is not reported on. So uh, people get the impression that it's working. And they they never use medical data. They only use testimonials and anecdotal evidence. So nothing of the solid kind of evidence. Yes, even though we know of a lot of cases when people died in the Tijuana Gerson therapy uh, center, nobody cares. They still go there by the thousands. Yeah, and that anecdote by of that pa- patient can still be found on the yeah. website of the Gerson Clinic as a success story, even though the person later died. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's so cynical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, let's move on from one group of cynical motherfuckers to the next one. <laughs> so, Pontus, have you got something to poke the Pope for? Yes, I do. I don't know if I'm going to talk about something very cynical (laughs) today when it comes to Frankie, but at least it's very confusing. And I haven't talked about Frankie for a while, so I thought I'd give everybody an update. The Vatican is now deep into the so-called synod on synodality that we've been talking about that. Mm -hmm. I've been talking about that for a long time, some coming up. So a synod is a gathering of bishops where they together work out answers to pressing questions within the church. Uh, they work out new policies and other things. Uh, Frankie is the initiator of this, but doesn't formally take part himself, because this is an advisory body. The, these bishops are supposed to work out recommendations 
that they then hand over to to the Pope. And Frankie's job then is to receive these findings and decide what to do with them. And actually, spoiler, a lot of the time he doesn't do anything with it. So he doesn't even say that it was bad or good. It's just very strange. Mm-hmm. So it's rather bizarre because the Pope is... The, he's the dictator, as I sometimes say. He decides everything. So why he needs them to tell him what to think when he later can just ignore it. You could see it as an advice. Okay, fine. Yeah, but you mustn't forget that he has the voice of God as well in his ears. So um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's the one being connected directly to God, at, or at least supposed to be. Yes, if you start to hear voices in your head, then maybe you shouldn't have such an important job. <laughs> that, 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 that much more power, yeah. Yeah. The, the last synod uh, that w- was a couple of years ago is when t- 2019. And then that was the synod for the Pan-Amazon region. And it meant to deal with issues regarding Catholicism in South America specifically, and especially with indigenous peoples and how to to reach them. But this time, the topics are more up for grabs. Not only is the topic this time very confusing, synod on synodality, what what does that mean? But Frankie has also told the participants not to disclose anything about the discussions until it's all over. So it's been very quiet about this. But not entirely quiet, because a group of bishops, actually more than one, but one group of bishops sent a number of questions to Frankie in advance to get a clarification of what he thinks that they should conclude that they should recommend him to think on certain Ooh. subjects. This is how it works. Yeah. So that's uh, that's putting the burden on him to tell them what, to tell what him. they should tell him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> If I were Frankie, I would have um, said, well, no, that's up to you to figure out. I, I, I'm not telling you what to think, but he did tell them what to think. Very, very strange. Two questions in particular that I think is interesting have come to light on these questions. They are called dubias. So it has to do with doubts. When they have dubias, they send a dubia letter to Frankie saying, we don't know what to think of this. What, what shall we think? And one of the questions was about female priests. Can that ever be accepted? And his reply was roughly, no, it cannot happen. Okay, that's clear. With the addendum, but it can be investigated. Okay, clear as mud, I think. (laughs) The other question was if the church could ever imagine allowing blessings of same-sex couples. That's been on the table before. And... uh, at least now the the answer from Frankie was consistent with what he said before. He said it can never be done in a way so that it can be confused with marriage. That that has been his line all along. A marriage has to be one man and one woman and nothing else. Of course, they're Catholics. That's how they think. But he said on an individual basis, certain same-sex couples can be blessed again, but you can't confuse it with marriage. Uh, and of course, we don't even have to t- say what we think. I mean, of course, we think that women should be, have all the same opportunities as everybody else. So, of course, they could be priests if they wanted to. And of course, gay couples should be allowed to get married. Anyway, so this is where we are right now in the Synod on Synodality. And um, it's just confusing. And he's telling them in advance what they should tell him to th- Think and he can also ignore what they say later. Mm. <laughs> and, mm. and please do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks for poking the Pope once again, Pontus. And let's move on to uh, the news. I understand that uh, last week you guys uh, tried to catch up with uh, the last month or so <laughs> when it came <laughs> to the news, but we might still have a couple of things to to cover from the last couple of weeks. So yeah. Let's crack on with it. Yes, and um, I want to start off with something that's very uh, close to my professional life, because this is about phones in schools and why banning them might not be the right decision. This is an opinion piece that I'm um, talking about, but... Me as a teacher, I have to say I totally agree with that opinion. (laughs) But the thing is that, yes, smartphones do cause problems in school. We know that. 
It's not a new observation. It's nothing that has only happened yesterday. Since I've started teaching, they have been around. So it was about 10 or maybe even longer years when they when it started and when also when smartphones started having an impact. So they are like very popular. They have entertainment value. They're also, my students usually use phones also for studying. Most secondary schools are banning mobile phones. I don't know any that actually allow them, especially for younger students. So grade one to 10 usually don't allow them at all or only allow them in break time. Whereas the older students, the adult students, um, they sometimes are allowed to use it during the lessons. The interesting thing is that the um, education secretary, Gillian Keegan, now announced that um, there will be a ban in England. And yeah, we can actually, what we can see is that that might be a little bit of a false flag <laughs> thing happening or more like a smokescreen yeah, the idea itself is not is not too bad. It's like, yeah, sure, you can ban them in school. It should be off, off limits throughout the school days. It's, I, I know these pictures of students standing around on the schoolyard by themselves on their phone. Even the younger students, like the 10-year-olds, are often not playing anymore or running around as the break should be for. It should be for something else than you do in classroom and it's not shouldn't be sitting around. So the idea itself is, is good, but there are much, much bigger problems than smartphone usage. For example, in England, there's a big shortage of teachers, but that's not only England. I can, I can tell you now that it's the same in Germany. And that's something that needs to be addressed. There is a bit of a pay rise in England now, but yeah, <laughs> we, we, they still have huge shortages and, and that's a big problem. Um, another problem is that school buildings have sometimes, uh, they have been built from a type of concrete that is only meant for maybe a few years of usage. And 174 schools have whole sections out of these, they called it reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete, which really has only a, a short lifespan. So the school system and the schools are literally on the brink of collapse. <laughs> then oh, yeah, also yeah. another problem is that we have a big problem about pupil behavior and that's also not something that's isolated in England. There was a survey with 6,000 teachers and they replied that 90% of the teachers they asked had experienced verbal abuse or violence, 37% had been physically attacked and 89% said that the number of violent people, uh, pupils had increased. So, of course, that could also like come around to the smartphone usage, but I don't want to be too negative on the smartphones because, as I said, they can, can, not will, but can also be used as, as teaching tools or learning tools. Yeah, as you can see, there are much bigger problems like the safety of teachers, teacher shortages, broken school buildings. <laughs> there are much bigger problems than smartphone usage. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's just a smokescreen, but it's so good that we're talking about it. It's something that we also can't ignore because that's something that we as skeptics also should do. Is we have to teach media literacy. We have to teach critical thinking when it comes to fake news in regards to, for example, social media, which is mostly accessed through smartphones. So um, this is a very like core skeptical topic, if you want. And yeah, because they are they can be a, um, a tool as well to use. Exactly. It can be a tool for, for skeptics. It can also be a tool for misinformation. That's yeah. why this mm -hmm. is so important and why it's even more annoying that this is just used as a smokescreen by the British government. Yeah, yeah to cover up yes. for other yes. problems that they have. Yeah, all right. But I'm surprised you say that uh, smartphones are prohibited in German schools. Did you say that? Um, they're not completely prohibited, but they're rarely um, used during lessons unless you have older students yeah, yeah. no that that i can mm -hmm. understand i mean unless you use it as a tool you shouldn't be able to or be allowed yes. to to sit and play mm -hmm. around with yeah. your phone during lessons but on, on the the playground or school yard there there should be or in sweden mm -hmm. at least it's quite yeah, okay usually they are allowed. see that as a big problem no, no, they usually are allowed to do that on the schoolyard okay. yeah mm -hmm. yeah Especially like I, I was at a at a school that was in a very rural area, 
And if you don't have a smartphone there and then the school bus that only comes once a day doesn't come, it's it's a big problem. So, it is, yeah. yeah, sure. <laughs> like yeah. there's there like there are also benefits of having a smartphone. <laughs> Absolutely. There are lots of benefits, but you have to use it accordingly. I mean, you need to adjust your uh, phone usage to the needs. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, even when when children are addicted to the screen, it's usually, first of all, it's very attractive. So it's a moving, shining thing, and it's very attractive, yeah. even to me. Whenever I talk to someone, so this is why I don't like sitting in a pub, for example, full of screens, because it distracts you. It draws your yeah. attention. Mm-hmm. So that's important to try to avoid. But on the other hand, you are using your smartphone. So you that there is the tool in your hand to access all the information in the world. Mm. And what a great tool it could be to teach young people how to access that information and how to browse through that information with the ability to select what is reliable and what's not. So if we ban them all together, that means that we are ridding ourselves of that very tool. And it's also absolutely inauthentic. I wouldn't feel good with my students not being allowed to do it. And then I turn around and take my phone out of my pocket. Oh, exactly. It's it's the (laughs) same thing with, yeah. I I remember uh, me uh, being very pissed off at teachers. I, I never smoked. But when I heard any teacher telling someone off for smoking in the school area... Yeah, and you are doing it yourself. You go outside and you smoke a cigarette, but the children cannot do it. Okay, they are children, so of course. But what an example. But there's a little bit of a difference. But there yeah, is, but what a bad to... example to show <laughs> to children. Yeah. I mean, yeah, then don't be the one who's telling children not to do it because you're mm. leading them into it, mm. please. <laughs> All right. Okay, moving on. I think a lot of the time when we bring up politics in Europe in this show, it's always bad news. Bad news, bad news, bad news. Misery, misery, misery. But sometimes, maybe from the last place that you expected it, there may be some good news. Because the Polish piss party... It's not pronounced the like Polish that. Polish piss party, the like PPP. <laughs> Polish piss party may have lost its grip over the country of Poland. And that is, uh, that's good news. But there are some caveats to it. Yeah. And, and before you get the wrong idea, this is not a political show per se. We don't normally try to cheer on for certain parties or against certain parties. But we have, over the last eight years, given out no fewer than six really wrong awards to the Piss Party (laughs) because of specific things that they've done. Unscientific policies, denial of COVID facts, and and criminalizing sex education in schools, things like that. And these have been issues where the policies of the Piss Party are demonstrably against science or even reality. So that's why I'm talking about it. Anyway, the election earlier this week went badly for the Piss Party, and they and their supporting allies failed to get the majority in the Polish parliament. The same, as it's called, which will now not be the same, uh, since there is a good chance that the opposition will be able to form the new government. Under Donald Tusk, which is the English pronunciation, I think it's more like Donald Tusk. Tusk, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so he he will be in uh, probably be the next prime minister. There's still negotiations, of course, and he will have a difficult time. Though the Piss Party has over the years filled the administration with loyalists, and um, they are expected to sabotage or work against the new government. And I'm talking about people working in the not political positions, but they are working in the actual administration, the administrative work, the day-to-day work, and they may be now sabotaging the new government. We don't know that. Also, they have a president in Poland called Andrzej Duda, oh, yeah. or something to that effect. And he was a supporter of peace. He's Actually, when you become the president, you normally disassociate yourself from a particular party. That's the rule, and he has done so, but he is backed by the Piss Party. And um, you don't want to be backed by a Piss no. Party, to be honest. And uh, 
he is still in office and he will remain in office until, I think, mid-2025. And the Polish president has, it's not just a ceremonial post, he has veto power over legislation and he can, can in some circumstances, dissolve the parliament. But we are looking at the, the development in Poland with some cautious optimism at the moment. Mm, yeah. The key word being cautious. Here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but still, we need all the good news you can have. <laughs> yes, and we need the example that this can be done. Mm-hmm. So, especially uh, coming from me, suffering <laughs> in Hungary from the same problem. And, um, mm. well, with the Fides, the, the governing party of Orban, I don't think anyone could form an actually working government. As we call them, the tentacles of the polyp. <laughs> or the Hydra or something, they are so well entrenched into everything that we see around us, the administration itself. So um, I, don't, I don't think it would be able to operate. But I, I'm really hoping for Donald Tusk government not to be in that situation. Uh, well, um, I'd, like to, I'd like to mention something that is a little bit old news because uh, it happened about a month ago. But I wanted to report on it because I think it's fascinating <laughs> The fact that there was going to be a, a symposium of that sort at the Catholic University of Leuven is amazing in and of itself. However, it's now being disrupted or I, we don't know if it's cancelled. So what am I talking about? There is or there was going to be an international non-local and unidentified anomalous phenomena symposium between <laughs> November 4th and 5th. 2023 at the Catholic University of Leuven in uh, Belgium. Things like this happen all the time, right? However, even when it's a Catholic university, it's a university of high prestige. It's, well, one of the leading universities of Europe. And that means that if something like that is being organized inside the walls of that university, that gives its credit, right? So it means that it elevates the event itself. And that's probably what the university realized after a while because it had been on their website for a long long time and you could um, go and buy tickets and you could be one of the early birds to register and at some point on the 20th of September the university decided to shut it off even though Pepin van Erp, friend of a show um, a great skeptic uh, with with a wonderful blog that he's writing he found the archive of the original website so it's accessible you can see the original program and all that so the subtitle of the symposium is the wind of change and one of the organizers is a guy by the name dr andrea lani who is at the university of uh, the catholic university of leuven he is leading a center for mathematical plasma astrophysics at the university and uh, he has a phd so it's interesting how he's such a great fan of UFOs. His approach, based on some of the testimonials that you can find written by him on his own, on his own website, well, it's his, um, he's kind of a weird guy when it comes to that because he uh, links it with all kinds of weird meditations and how you connect to the universe and all that. So that's the general atmosphere under which this uh, organization was supposed to go and happen. Now, they are trying to get sponsors on sponsormyevent.com. And well, quite large packages they are advertising there. Uh, luckily, all 10 of the sponsoring packages are available of the 3,000, the 1,500 and 5,000 euro packages as well. So apparently no one is really interested in sponsoring the event. <laughs> so it's probably not going to so go So are on. they looking for another place to ha- to hold it then? Or what is what is? It the... doesn't really say. Because if it's, if it's cancelled, it's hard to sponsor it. it? Uh, no, they say that it will probably happen, but it doesn't say when. And originally it was planned as a hybrid event. So 
So the solution might be that it's only going to take place online. The Sponsor My Event website still says that it's going to happen between November 4 and 5. But now it doesn't say at the Catholic University of Leuven. It says in Belgium and online. So it's somewhere in Belgium. It will take place. Um, Well, interesting line of speakers, actually. Some of them known to the international skeptical community as well. Yeah, they are supposed to talk about different sightings and how contact has allegedly already been established with other intelligences. Well, some of them including under meditation or hypnosis. So this is really sliding down to a very weird place. So, yeah. Uh, we don't know if it's if it's happening. It's supposed to happen in less than a month. So, don't know. I couldn't find anything that says that it's definitely on. Hopefully, it's off. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, something that's not off at all is something I found out about an influencer. I actually found out about it on Blue Sky, which for a lot of Germans is basically the, the next Twitter <laughs> A lot of us migrated to Blue Sky now. But um, Mm -hmm. coming to the point, I found out about an Instagram influencer called Anja Zeidler on on Blue Sky. She um, is a successful fitness personality from Switzerland. She was a bodybuilder and also, yeah, became an an influencer then, mostly on Instagram. She has her own company, Anja Zeidler GmbH, and has really like is, is really a public figure for wellness for fitness as a self-love influencer blogger a book author motivational speaker presenter you name it she's seen as an expert in the food and health sector and she also and now it comes is completing a degree at the academy of naturopathy for holistic health <laughs> So far, so (laughs) okay-ish. But a year and a half ago, she got diagnosed with a desmoid tumor. And that one seems to be back now. Which, of course, in itself is nothing that should be reported on so far. But what happened after that is that she declined conventional treatment methods, which would have been either another surgery to remove it again or radiation. And Anja Zeidler decided to wait with that. And for now, she says she wants to balance any imbalances with her naturopathic doctor and wants to fight the disease on her own and with a positive mindset. That sounds like it will not end well. Yes, it sound, yeah. doesn't sound good. Now, I mean, like, just to explain that a desmoid tumor is coming usually from connective tissues. They're not malignant, so they don't metastasize, but they still grow. They can, um, and, and as far as I know, it's from the connective tissue under her breast. So that means the, the tumor is already in, in ribs. She said she doesn't want to get um, surgery because she would also lose a rib. My morbid, sarcastic side thinks, look, you don't want to lose a rib, so you rather lose your life. But she said, she says, on a spiritual level, tumors would be related to trauma. And that's why she's doing breathing exercises and cocoa ceremonies. This way she could heal the trauma in her subconscious and dissolve them. And she's drinking freshly squeezed celery and beetroot juice and is taking natural capsules with grapeseed OPC. And OPC is something in the grapes. It's, um, I'll try to pronounce it, oligomere proanthocyanidine. So, <laughs> Gesundheit, yes. It's something that is in, in grapes or in other plants. And yes. Well, supposed to be a, supposed m- a to wonder. Supposed to be a healthy thing. and whatever. Yeah. Anti- antioxidant. Miracle cure. Yes. Yeah. But uh, she also says yeah. she thinks if it doesn't help, then at least it doesn't harm you. But as we know, like this tumor will still grow very likely. And we also know that this positive mindset might not heal her. And the thing is, the problem here is not only that she's risking her own life, but because she's an influencer, 
she's influencing the public. Yeah, that's, that's the bad part. The part. I mean, if, if yes. she wants to take these, the, it's yeah. her life. She can do what she wants to. Exactly. But if she's spreading these ideas and maybe get others to think the same way, yes. then that's harmful. Because it's really like, if, if it's my neighbors from three years back, then that's still bad for her on a personal level. But she's at least not telling thousands of people that this is the right way. And the whole positive mindset always gets me because it's like, and trauma. It's like, what's about like toddlers? with with cancer like uh, did they maybe sin in their last life do you have to do they have trauma from their last life no. <laughs> like it's like i i heard it said very well by a, a swedish doctor uh rather controversial sometimes but uh, she is uh, funny sometimes as well she said an immune system that only works when you're happy is a very shitty immune system <laughs> because if you get ill you also get very sad and that's when the immune system is supposed yes. to work it, it, you can't change the immune system or heal yourself by just being happy because uh, sick people are seldom happy and that's mm -hmm. not how it's working yeah and when you when you end up basically blaming the victim when it when it's yes. uh, the case that oh, you are responsible for your own immune system not working properly because you are not being positive mm. yeah oh, you're not on. cheerful yeah. enough to get well and that is yeah, very that's exactly is, what, yeah, because, what yeah. for example homeopathy also works with so yeah, yeah. not mm. not happy with that one especially because she has such an influence and um I do hope that that she can survive this But as we know that like ribs are also pretty close to very important vital organs. So yeah, I just hope she, she might agree to have her tumor treated with evidence-based medicine um, because the earlier she does that, the better for her survival. Mm. Yeah. All right. More politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we've said it before. The democratic system works very poorly when it comes to long-term goals. We know that as a species, we are not good at fighting the climate crisis because it, we feel that it's somebody else's problem. It's going to happen in decades, even though we do see a lot of signs that it's working right now. And maybe that will make people change their minds. But we tend to elect and re-elect politicians that focus on short-term benefits for us. And Rishi Sunak of the UK is one of those politicians, I would like to say. A quick recap of the Paris Agreement of 2015, because it's mentioned a lot and perhaps we forget what it actually concluded. And, and this is a huge simplification, but in broad brushes, this is what, it's, what it is. To limit the increase in global temperature to be below 1.5 degrees Celsius, the agreement was to reach net zero emissions, and that's mo mostly focusing on CO2, by 2050. By 2030, the emissions should be cut by 50%. That was the idea. And uh, that would suggest that already by now, we should see emissions going down. <laughs> But they're not. Globally, they're still going yes. up and still rising. Yeah. So therefore, it's been met by a lot of criticism that uh, Sunak has backed down from previous commitments, not only not working towards them, but actually saying, well, let's scrap them. Um, and not all of them, of course, but he has now moved the ban of sales of new fossil fueled cars from 2030 to 2035. And uh, he has changed the rules for phasing out gas and oil fired boilers. That was the previous commitment. So that's not a good signal. He's pushing some of these commitments into the future. Other countries are not helping as well. We know Germany is not closing coal power plants as they should be doing. And the, the right-wing Sweden Democrat-backed government is also reversing some of the previous commitments when it comes to transportation. They have announced reduced taxes, reduced taxes on petrol and diesel in 2023 Aye. and 2024. So um, all of this is driven by appealing to the voters with short-term benefits rather than than what should be, do, be done. And this is done in to be able to stay in power. And it would be cheaper as well. That's People forget that. It's cheaper to invest now to stop the climate crisis than it will be in the future. If we, if we push it ahead, not only get it, will it get worse, it will get more expensive. But it will be 
some some other government that'll have to, to deal with that problem, not the sitting government. Yeah, but it's isn't it weird that everyone wants to stay in power for a long, long time? So they don't want to give up their power. So why mm. wouldn't they plan for them staying in power and having to deal with it? Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't. I don't paradox. see. Yeah, it, I don't. Don't see the the reason in this. Yeah, but they're only th- thinking as far as to the next election, and then they'll solve the other problem at the next election again. So. Now, speaking of things that are based on uh, the public drive and and what the public wants and what interests them did you hear that the university of exeter one of our favorite universities right uh, since uh, the, how they treated Edzard Ernst and uh, well that was just for everyone to know this was sarcasm <laughs> okay so yeah. it's, <laughs> yes, not, yes. it's not really one of our favorite institutions well um, they started by treating him well because they gave him a good job a long time ago yeah, but, but then uh, yeah but then they happen. gave into the needs of um, that gentleman who is now wearing the crown Chuck the third Sir Chuck the third <laughs> yeah. all right so The University of Exeter and the Institute of Arab and Islamic Studies within the university, they are, from September 2024, offering a degree in magic and the occult. Wow. This is Harry Potter. It is. It's really, really, it's a Harry Potter course. (laughs) I have no idea how anyone can really take themselves so seriously when it comes to these. I mean, there are certain things that you can study. We know a lot of brilliant people who have done research into fields of the occult, of magic, of the psychology of it, and the folklore elements of it. We've, well... We've had a couple of very good talks and uh, discussions, panel discussions at QED about that. However, offering a master's degree, it sounds a little bit weird because you elevate something into the scientific level. And based on what the university publicizes about this program, I'm not sure it will have throughout the course a very skeptical approach to everything that's being taught there. And that's what worries me. They call it an innovative MA. Well, it can be innovative, but please stick to the science. Professor Emily Selov, uh, or Selov, I, I don't know how to, how to pronounce her name. She's been studying that and she is the convener of the University of Exeter Center for Magic and Esotericism. So she's already established the institutional background for this. Yeah, it's not very clear as to what the course will entail either. They say that the core module will be esotericism and the magical tradition and the magic in Greece and Rome, the occult tests in Judaism, Christianity and Islam, uh, the history of witchcraft. So that is all good as long as it still applies a skeptical approach, but it doesn't say it anywhere. So I have a feeling that this one is just to attract a lot of people who are really deep into that shit and (laughs) they don't know what to do with themselves and now they are being offered a master's degree in this. And that concerns me. Master's degree in witchcraft. (laughs) Exactly. So basically that's, that's what it sounds like. And I'm not happy with it. So, but apparently I'm not alone. There have been a couple of um, very critical articles as well out there. Obviously, Edzard Ernst criticizes it very strongly. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see how this plays out. But, but it, it looks weird for a university yeah. to if offer it. If it had such been degree. about the psychology or history of the occult, that's fine. That, yes, that's something you can study. But we'll see what this is. Yeah, MA in magic and the occult. It's 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 like yeah, what? What are you doing? Um, and they try to be the the appearing as these pioneers, but if you're a pioneer in taking something to the realm of weirdness, it's probably not a good thing to do. So don't be so proud of it, mm-hmm. uh, University of Exeter. <laughs> All right, but that uh, brings us to the end of our list of news that we want to share with our listeners. So I'm afraid, even though we have covered a couple of really wrong 
people saying weird shit. Let's find out whom we found really wrong this week. Yes, and this is something that's maybe a bit related to what we talked about in the beginning, because apparently there are people around that are usually close to Nazis or to neo-Nazis, but they're hiding themselves differently. And, and I want to explain it first, and then I'll tell who wins it. We, we all know Reichsburger. I talked about them um, at length, but those who don't know them, um, they are close to sovereign citizens, usually pretty right-wing in their understandings of the world. And they think democracy is, is not important. They don't want democracy. They're also usually pretty anti-Semitic, have belief in a lot of conspiracy theories. And it seems like these people are actually founding Jewish communities. And this is like really a what the actual F moment the mm. magazine <laughs> Control F, I translated that because it's called Steuerung F in, in German, but it's a play on the keyboard key. Mm -hmm. So they did research and they found that several communities, several Jewish communities weren't Jewish communities, but they were actually Reichsbürger. And yes, that, that does exist. And they exist in Schleswig-Holstein, Sachsen-Anhalt, Berlin, Nordrhein-Westfalen, Hessen, several federal countries and why like why are they doing that and on the one thing jewish communities are supported by the state and on the other hand they also use it as as a cover <laughs> so like almost a, as a camouflage because these people they are not jewish they are anti-semitic but if they claim they're jewish or if they if, if at least their community their club is uh, seen as jewish then you can almost use it as a shield. I want to wrap that up because it's just it's just, just horrible. To do that at all is horrible. To do that in a country that has the history that Germany has is horrible in a way. And to do that at a time where Jewish people and Palestinian people are being killed is just absolutely horrible. And that's why these Reichsbürger for claiming they are Jews and for portraying and being fake Jews, the Reichsbürger received this week's prize for being really, really fucking wrong. Mm. Wow. They are really a group that we need to mm -hmm. keep monitoring yeah. and, and look at because they seem to be up to all kinds of mm -hmm. naughty stuff. Yes. Nasty yes. stuff, I should say. Yeah, and, and they are they're falling in that category that we mentioned earlier of uh, mm -hmm. the ones playing on chaos. They are yes. generating that chaos themselves mm -hmm. with these fake communities. It's, it's how would, sometimes I just can't wrap my head around how people tend to do stuff that are so inhumane. I yes. mean, it's oh, disgusting. All right. Thank you very much, Annika. Mm -hmm. And we're moving on to the segment that we recently introduced, a word of the week. And uh, I wanted to ask you anyway earlier, Pontus. So let's talk about what a synod is. <laughs> yes, as you said, today's word is synod because it is in the news and I just talked about it and uh, people may not exactly know what it means because it's a little bit of a strange word, only very used in very special context. Of course, from this show, you will know what it means. It's a meeting of bishops, quote unquote. But the word is strange. Do you have any guesses as to the etymology of the word? Mm. Mm, not really. I know that there's also like, um, oh, I don't know how to pronounce that in, in English, <laughs> but um, in German we call it Sinekdoche, which is like a rhetorical figure. It's, it's, uh, it's not pars pro toto, <laughs> but it's, for mm -hmm. example, if you say um, uh, per head, we do this and that. Mm -hmm. I don't no, think no, but that's I, related. I would say, I would say that the cynic, the sin could be related. So like something like together. Yes, that's on the right. I track. would I would uh, place it more on the uh, the astronomy end, the where where synodic mm -hmm. comes from. Synodic means that it's it's in conjunction to stars 
or planets or or things up in the sky. I'm not sure it has anything yeah. to do with it. <laughs> it does. It does actually a little bit. I have heard, on the other hand, uh, speculation that it was related to the word senate because senate and synod sound so similar in a way. Uh, but senate is, of course, from Latin senatus. And uh, synod actually does come from Latin as well, but it is originally Greek, so it's something different. And what you've both been into is the, the first part of it, the syn. It means together in Greek. And the second part is hodos, which means way. So synod means literally together way. <laughs> which is also a bit <laughs> vague, like I would say, but it is, yeah. So I guess it's it's. So we put all the bishops together and they decide the way. So I, that's the closest I can and try to make sense of it. But of course, the synod on synodality would then be the together way on together wayness, which <laughs> it doesn't help a lot. But anyway, that's what I found out about the the word synod. So it's very specialized. It's only used for bishops. And it's composed of two words that means together and way. So deciding the way together, oh, I guess. How nice. How nice. <laughs> Sounds yeah. very poetic. Oh, yes, it does. <laughs> and it doesn't do anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's great. <laughs> Thank you very much for that, Pontus. Thank you. And uh, that basically concludes our show this week. Our 400th episode but before we leave our listeners we need a quote Onika have you got one for us yes and I've got a quote by Denis Diderot I hope I pronounced that correct um, he was a <laughs> French to me yes he was a French uh, philosopher art critic and writer and also very prominent during the age of enlightenment oh, yeah. and he said A thing is not proved just because no one has ever questioned it. What has never been gone into impartially has never been properly gone into. Hence, skepticism is the first step toward truth. It must be applied generally because it is the touchstone. Hmm. All right. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I I feel a little bit uncomfortable when we talk about truth because that sounds very absolute. Mm-hmm. But yeah. skepticism is about getting closer to what is actually real. I wouldn't use the word truth because mm-hmm. that has connotations that I don't like. But, but I would uh, totally yeah. touch stones. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. and, and I think I think why uh, what I like about this quote is that the impartiality is a requirement, and we are often being accused of being partial. Uh, because of our skepticism, because we are being partial to science. But science, by nature, has to be impartial. That's the, the core of it. Yeah. And this is why science is, in its core, skeptical. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. We, we are partial, but only to the method of finding things out. Yes. And that gives you a, a sense of impartiality as well. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, but that really concludes our show thank you very much 400 both of you Anika and Pontus for bearing with each other (laughs) for that long and uh, well Anika you you joined us a little bit later but uh, you've been with us for what half of of this or you may have listened to more episodes than I have (laughs) (laughs) I've listened to 399 so far thank you very much (laughs) oh wow okay (laughs) Thank you. And um, here's to another 400 or so. Mm. And I'd like to thank our listeners as well for tuning in and for, for staying with us. Please keep doing so because we are doing this for you. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hey, doll. Bis lat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. 
We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. An independent weekly show set out for being... Re- <clears throat> One dollar. Five euro. <laughs> Um, COVID, uh, not COVID. Fuck. <laughs> that was a long Do after COVID. <laughs> <laughs> it was after COVID. Very much after Everything COVID. is after COVID. After at some point COVID. That COVID is here, so we're not after COVID yet. Uh, in... <laughs> Thank you very much for poking the Pope Thank once you. again. Pontus. Pompus. Pontus. <clears throat> Sales of new fossil fuel. Fossil fuel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to charge myself a couple of euros for this. <laughs>